Hello, good people upon the planet of Earth. Welcome to You Are Worthy, the podcast whereupon which we speak of feelings, emotions, and all of things in between of them. My name is Michael Mookie Blakelock, otherwise known of Lil Mookie B, comedian, podcaster, influencer, person who sometimes needs to take of some personal space for himself. Um, welcome upon today's podcast. Thank you for being here. I want to talk at you today about criticism, about receiving of critical opinions upon yourself and your art or whatever it is that you do that people may admire of. Because we are well into this podcast now. Like we have hit the airwaves and rode the airwaves and the jury is out. Like people like this podcast, my podcast, like it's just as simple as that. And I can know and understand this by the number of listeners and the number of five-star and positive comments and things of that nature that indicate upon where the people stand in terms of this podcast's influence and reach and positivity and popularity. So like that is to say that there is no shortage upon praise of me and what I am doing currently. And maybe that may seem to be to you that I do not possess of humility or that of humbleness, but... I have learned that it's okay to be proud of yourself and what you do. Like sometimes we must toot of our own horn in order to remind ourselves and of course others that we are successful. So toot toot, like it's not a big deal, but like it is a big deal. Anyways, so there has been an outpouring of positive regarding of the podcast and I thank you to those that have contributed upon that. But of course, listeners, and I cannot stress of this enough, You can't please of everyone. You may look at me and listen to this podcast and say upon yourself, Mookie, there's no way someone doesn't like this. Like, I am a loyal, devoted fan of yours, and I have been since you started upon TikTok, and like, how could anyone not like of what you are doing? Like, that is so fucked up. And I do thank you for saying that. But one thing that I have learned in the work I have been doing upon myself in therapy is that I will never achieve 100% success rate. I will never please every person upon the planet of Earth. I will never, ever be perfect, and neither will you. And that might be a harsh bomb of truth upon which to drop on you at this moment, but it's the gut punch that many of us and you need so that we can let go of the perfectionism that is holding us down and telling us that we are not enough. Because I am someone who puts themselves out there. Like, I am out here, exposed, naked, if you will imagine that. I have something that I believe I need people to see me doing, and I am risking my comfort and my reputation as someone who is talented to ask for your attention upon it, knowing fully well that people may not like of it, and I may feel vulnerable of that, and feel like I am not talented even though I am. And that is something that you can and should have sympathy upon me for and about. So because of this, because there are people out there of the world that don't understand what I'm trying to do here, and I of course don't blame them, like to each and every one their own, like people are allowed to not like me. And in turn, of course, I am allowed to hate them too. But because of that problem, I do receive of some negative criticism. Now this may come in the form of comments reviews, the number of followers that I don't have compared to that of someone else's podcast that is not even as good as mine in the same category, like whatever it may be, the criticism is there 
It will always be there for some reason, and I am not immune of that disease. So what do we do when there is criticism? Well, I want to actually read a couple of these reviews to you, if you will indulge of me. And I want to say right now, I am not shaming of these people. Like, I want to say that I support that of freedom of speech. Like, to quote the rapper Childish Gambino, this is America. And what he means of that is that you have the freedom to say what you would like to say to me in this great country we live upon. So I will not be reading the names of these people, as I want to protect of their first amended right to say whatever they want, even if it sucks, like, they deserve that of me. And I am not doing this for reasons of revenge, or getting back at people, like, I am just doing this to show you, and and me even, that criticism is okay to have. That I will be okay, even if someone doesn't like of a thing I worked hard on and is good. So... I know you're worried about me, but, like, don't be, okay? I will be okay. This is why we do of this. Okay, here we go. First comment. This is from social media. I won't say which one. It says, What the fuck is this podcast? This is not funny at all. And at all is in all capitals. Okay, so there's some negative criticism. And I'm okay. And, like, I want you to know that, like, You do not have to respond of negative criticisms. Like whatever else someone else thinks of you and upon you is their business. It's their problem. So things of this do not even require of my time and attention. Like I can just let it slide off of my shoulder, off my back onto the ground and leave it there untouched. I do want to quickly just respond to this, like not in a serious way, but just like if you listen to my first episode, I did explain that we would not necessarily be talking of funny subjects. So That's something you should already know coming into this because you commented in regard to like episode three or something. So like, that's your own fault. And like, also, I do think that there is humor contained inside of the podcast and in the truth and vulnerability of what we are sharing upon, but you didn't see that and that's fine. Um, Okay, next comment. This is a review, a two-star review. Wow. Okay, low. Um, And I'm okay, everyone. Like, please, I know you're worrying. Don't, don't worry of me. I'm, I'm fine. Okay, this bad review says, I came to this podcast looking for some positivity and self-help, and I can't tell if this guy is being serious or not. Like, does he know how he sounds? If you are looking for a podcast to make you feel better about yourself, I would not recommend this one. And that's from user... uh, Oh, wait, I said I wouldn't say their names. Um, Even though it would be, like, crazy if I did that right now. Uh, But I won't say this person's name and, like, see what my actual fans might want to say upon them, but no, I won't, um, I won't do that anyways. Um, okay. Well, listener who shall not be named of and who left a two star review, like, so you didn't hate it or else you would have put one star or no stars. Like what's your logic on this? Anyways, anonymous listener, I will take of the high road in this scenario and say, thank you for listening. Like, I am secure in the fact that you came here in the first place and listened to the podcast. Like, I will take the click that you gave to the podcast you hate so apparently much and don't understand. Like, that's fine with me. Like, I'll take that. And, like, I actually win because, like, I got a click and you got, like, I don't know, nothing apparently, according to you. And this is not about winning or losing, of course. Like, there are no winners or losers in life. Like, this is about 
knowing that I am okay with negative criticism and that it doesn't bother me. And I think that's pretty clear. It does not bother me what you said, like, at all. It doesn't. Okay, let's do one more comment here. Um, I'm not going to tell you where this one is of just yet. Um, I'm going to sort of reveal this later. Okay, this comment says, I can tell that this guy seems like he's trying so hard to make of a good podcast, but he seems to be falling short of that. He must feel like everyone in the world is watching upon him right now, and that must put tremendous pressure on him as he tries his best to spread of love and positivity. That being said, I think he could do better, and I think he could have more listeners, especially compared to other podcasts that are similar. I hope he does that, but until then, he needs to do better. Wow. Um, that one cuts deep to the core. Now, I know I said I would reveal where this comment came from and of, and I will do that now. Um, I will reveal the name of this particular commenter, because I want to show of you something. That commenter's name is me. That comment is from me, Lil Mookie B. And it was posted upon my mind. Almost every day I post this comment. And I did this little sort of clever thing to tell you that you are your harshest of critics. In this case, you is me. No matter who out there wants to spit negativity and hate on you, your biggest hater is you. Because in the nature of human beings, we strive to be better, to be the best. I know I want to be the best, and I have everyone else with talent to compete with. And when things get difficult, when the chips are no longer up, our complex mind finds a way to make us quit so that we may be protected from embarrassment and failure. But we must fail in order to succeed. Which is so profound and also so fucked up at the same time. Like, I should just be able to succeed without failure, but that is the fact of the matter at hand. So we criticize ourselves to push ourselves in a forward direction. And if that type of self-criticizing works to push me forward, so does all that unnecessary bullshit that other people say of me. Like those comments I read push me to be better and do better. So like to the people that wrote that stuff, like you lose, dude. Like you have only just put fuel upon the fire and you can take that shit you want to say to me and make your own fucking shit. Like what do you even create? So that's the sort of perspective I have found to be helpful of me when taking of criticism. And I hope you act as I do as well in regards of that. And I wish you good success and good luck in your creation. <sighs> okay, that was a long one, so I'll stop ranting here once and for all and get this podcast started. But first, not that we need it, let's do some positiveness. Let us breathe one time into the microphone. I want to send you positive vibrations this day. I know you're already coming here to the podcast to have of positivity, but I want to focus extremely on that today. Because what is positivity 
It's not just a word to say. It's not just a general idea. It is many things, and everything, all at once. So I want you to be positive and have positivity in your day-to-day, in whatever form it may come of you. Maybe it will come of something simple like the breeze upon your face or the chirping of a bird outside of your window. Or maybe it will be something more complex, such as something of witnessing someone helping a dying old lady cross the street with her groceries. Or maybe you will see a homeless man take a shower and put on a suit and go apply for a job. I hope one of these things happens to you today. I want you to radiate positivity this day. Because if positivity is going to be in the world, we must provide of it. Perhaps you will be the reason this day that someone else witnesses something of positive and decides to do positive as well themselves. Like a chain reaction of dominoes. That's called paying it forward. Let us be the switch that sparks the electric charge of positivity upon the world this day. So I want you to think of something positive to take into your day. Something positive you can do that someone else can witness or that you can tell someone you did. And take a moment, because it should be very clever. Like, I will, like, pay of someone else's coffee today in the Starbucks line. Don't use that one, because that's mine, but something like that. A good deed, if you will think of it that way. And then take a moment to think of the change and influence you will affect in people in the world. The feelings people will feel from the small gestures I told you to do. Imagine that positivity as a light. As it spreads from person to person like a virus. Spreading far and wide and fast all over the world, all over the planet, out into the atmosphere. And find comfort in that. As I send of you these positive vibrations this day. Listen carefully to me. You are brave. You are strong. You are courage. You are light. You are beautiful. You are loved. You are worthy with Lil Mookie B. Okay, we have come upon the point of the interview. My special guest today is someone who deals upon the subject of grief. Now, grief is often a topic of therapy, such as grief in losing of a loved one, such as grief in losing of something that we want that we did not gain or achieve upon. And I'm very excited to talk to this person and sort of speak upon them about what they know of grief and, of course, speak to them and tell them what I know of grief and have them be impressed upon that. He is a grief coach and the host of a podcast called Where's the Grief? My guest today is Quim Wimley. Quim, welcome upon the podcast. Thank you for being here. So nice to be here. Yes, thank you. Wow, you sound, for for someone who deals in something quite dark, you sound very zen. You know, I think that being zen is is one of the ways that I deal with my own grief, you know, and just like letting it wash over you and being present and being conscious of that grief. I'm curious, what what is a grief coach? What does that do? Well, 
it's like a coach of games. It's like a coach of life. It's not like coach on an airplane. It's like helping someone with their sadness and what they're sad about and then guiding them on ways to process that sadness and let it flow through them. And on my podcast, where's the grief? I'm I'm like, where is your grief? You know, is it in your stomach? Maybe you need to go pig out on some burgers. You know, is it in your head? You know, maybe you need to take a nap. You know, maybe you're not really grieving. It's in your head and you need to sleep on that. Um, you know, so and so. So, so would you say then that your expertise upon grief is finding of a specific place upon the body, inside the body, where upon which the grief resides and, and ridding of it through some sort of proprietary technique? Uh, yes, my technique is patented and proprietary and copywritten and trademarked. And it's all about where that grief is. Like, was it in your stomach? You know, is it in your foot? Did you trip and hurt your your toe? Um, is it in the rose garden outside or grieving because um, a squirrel ate all the rose petals, you know? Um, maybe that's where your grief is today. I, I don't believe I have any grief as of currently, but I, I want to get to this uh, technique. But first, I would love to know, um, where upon did you originate? Like, how did Quim Wimley come to be coaching of grief? Mm, yes, yes. I mean, it's such a long story. Essentially, the short uh, nut of it is um, when um, you know someone someone dies that's very close to you, you experience grief, right? And so, in my right. case, in in my life, um, a person that I had grown very close to uh, was Hodor on Game of Thrones. Um, this character was very beloved to me. And okay, so, so you're, I just want to interrupt you. So you're saying the fictional character of Hodor upon the HBO series Game of Thrones is mm -hmm. someone that you consider very close to you. Yes, I was very close to that character, Hodor. That's very interesting because... You know, I, I do think that we can have fictional characters upon which we care very deeply. And of course, I know that as having been someone who has worked in television, I, I didn't realize that you could start an entire um, career and lifestyle upon your love and care for a television character. It happened to me. I was so in love with this character and all he stood for in his simplicity that with the day he died, it affected me very deeply. Um, my world changed. And that is when I decided that I needed to help other people uh, if they were experiencing even, even a skosh of the grief that I was experiencing at the loss of Hodor, um, that maybe I could, I could help them coach it through and wash it through their veins. And, and what about, this fictional character of Hodor made you feel such grief. How did you have such an intense connection with this character? Well, he's big and I'm a very stout individual myself. Um, he's also a DJ um, in the actor's life that plays him. And I, I love to um, spin records and he um, helped people. And he only, he did a lot of what I try to do, you know, in life is, is consolidate. And in, 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 in his name is a consolidation of three words. Do you know what they are? 
Um, I don't watch um, that much television. I only watch the shows that I've worked on, but go ahead and tell me. The three words are hold the door. Wow. Yeah, his Hodor is a combination of the three words, hold the door. And I think if you think about that, if you think about what a door is to you, you know, it's a gateway. It's an opening. It's a hole. It goes both ways. The door opens out and it opens in. And you need to hold the door. In Hodor's case, he died holding the door closed to save others. Mm. In many cases uh, of people that are being shivery, they will hold the door for a woman or of a female and let that woman through. Or if a man has got many boxes in his hands on the way into the store, uh, then you might hold that door for that man open as well. And I think it's a way of life. You're saying just general politeness and helping is is a way of life that has led you to grief coaching. Mm. I'm wondering if you could explain to me the grief that you felt upon seeing this character of Hodor die. You know, we often, and when I say we, I mean myself and my therapist, Dr. Myra Delaney, the stages of grief. Did you go through these stages of grief? What was the grief that you felt upon the death of Hodor? The first stage is crying. Now, now I know, I know that, I know that crying isn't necessarily the first stage of grief officially. Now, is this your own? Are these your own stages of grief that you have made up? I think everyone has their own stages. Interesting. It's up to the individual what their stages of grief are. See, this is why I wanted to talk to you because these are things upon which I did not have knowledge of. It, there can't be a government mandated stages of grief, you see, because that's that's a one size fit all approach. Um, no, everyone has their own ways of grieving. And for me, the first stage one was uh, crying. And the second stage was ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we all just need to do, lose ourselves in a big tub of ice cream. Yes. Yeah. Um, stage three was shopping. Um, I bought mm. myself a new pair of sunglasses um, so that when I was walking around at the store, um, people didn't see me crying. The, your stages are working hand in hand with one another. They coexist. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I'm hearing is that um, after the first stage of your own personal grief that you had been assigned by yourself, that uh, after crying, that the next couple of them were just uh, self-indulgence, which I don't think is a bad thing. I, I don't mean to say that of derogatory. You know, you went and spent uh, money on yourself and calories and things of that nature. You have to um, take care of yourself first. It's like if the plane is crashing and the masks come down, you have to put the mask on yourself first. That is a great metaphor, you know, meaning such as, you know, you must put yourself first. And I know I'm just repeating what you just said, but mm -hmm. I just want to make sure that it's very clear to my listeners that this is a metaphor upon which many, many people who are working upon themselves have heard. And I just want to make sure it's shared and heard. Oh, yes. You have to put the mask on yourself first. As if you're on a plane. So you've gone through your stages of grief with Hodor. What what happens then? Are are you are you now considering grief coaching, or do you go through any other sort of um, evolution upon life or upon your journey uh, to get where you are today? Well, another fourth stage of grief I feel like that I didn't say was anger. And one day I threw a chair. I was so upset about uh, 
the loss of Hodor and the very violent way that he died being um, torn apart by zombies. And I threw a chair across the room and it made me think of that coach famous for throwing a chair. I believe you're speaking upon Bobby Knight. Bobby McKnight. So I threw the chair and then I recalled seeing a YouTube video of that um, coach and I thought, hmm, maybe I am a coach. So you're really just taking whatever's in your environment and just shifting your whole life in that direction. Well, maybe all of those things in my environment were there for that reason to to guide me. You know, if you're driving down the road and you bump into the curb, you're not driving back onto the road because um, you hit the curb. The curb was put there for you to keep you on that road. What I'm hearing you say is that, you know, the hardships upon life, the the sidewalks, the things we trip over and crash over are actually put there for a reason to get us to whereupon we are as of currently. Uh, yes, exactly. But not it's about part sidewalks. of our path. Right. Not not sidewalks, though. Roads was what I was saying. Sidewalks are sort of a different pedestrian. Um, OK. In, in some other cases, it could be mm-hmm. perhaps of sidewalks. Um, I suppose if it's a, one of those towns without cars. Yeah. But I would never go to one of those places. Why is that? Um, cause I drive a Dodge charger and, uh, I like to show it off. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pair you with that car specifically. Hmm. Right. Isn't that interesting? So you saw Bobby Knight, you said, I'll be a coach. You've already, gr- grief was the number one thing that you felt, Then completely randomly, you saw a video of some person who was a coach. You took grief and coach and put them together and you decided to become a grief coach. Mm -hmm. And what upon which do you do as a grief coach? What, what is your specialty? If somebody came to you and said, I need help with my grief, coach me through my grief, coach me of grief. What would you, what would you say upon them? What would you do? I do eight sessions just to start. You have to commit to those eight sessions and um, six of them, I just kind of go through my experience, um, watching Hodor die in front of me nine times out of 10, whatever people are grieving about, if it is a death, they didn't see the person die, like right in front of them the way that I did. So I already have that experience, um, that they cannot really, um, that they can't really compete with in the sense that they're better, that their expense experience was better than mine. So that's one. And then what I do in the last two sections is I say my famous catchphrase that's trademarked, where's the grief? And then um they the name of your podcast, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you're saying that this this phrase originated upon just in person with your, your your grief coaching clients, you would just say that to them and it became a trademark to you. Yes. Yes. It it became my it became my trademark my thing, um, and they point to a I have a poster on the wall of a naked person, and they can point to where the grief is in their body. If they don't want to point to themselves, they can point to the picture of where the grief is. And then if it's not in their bodies, then I have a book of objects that they can point to because some people find it hard to talk about where their grief is. The the one thing that is confusing of me is that you're asking them to tell you where the grief is in your body. I I thought that it was possible that you were looking upon their body and telling them you, you were the one that did the investigation of finding out upon where 
the grief was upon their body. They're telling me where they, and this is important, where they think it is. So they tell me where they think the grief is. Now, I, I'm asking them, where's the grief? And they tell me where, they, where it is, where they think it is. And then if they're right, I say, great. If, if they're not right, then I will find where the grief is really. And then they can fill that with whatever they choose. Okay. So part of your grief coaching is um, proving your patients and clients wrong upon where they think that the trauma is upon their body. Right. Because they haven't thought about this and they're not a grief coach. So how would they really know? So you're taking an approach of, you know, self-righteousness. Why come to me if you don't want what I do? If you think you know better, don't come to me. Sure. And and I do think that there should be confidence in everyone's, you know, professional life. I think that whenever you choose to be who you are, you know, me, I'm somebody who is not only an entertainer, but just a, you know, social media sort of guru, life advice person, spreading of positive and love. You know, I have to have confidence about that. I can't there's always going to be haters in the comments saying, you know, you don't really believe of this. You're a simp. You're just trying to get of girls. And I have to tell them I have to have confidence enough in my own ability to do what I do to say, guess what, dude, you're wrong. You're not right about me. Anything that anyone's ever said about me is not correct if it's negative. Do you know what I mean? And and that's what I hear that you're doing. And I really admire of that, that you can start a business where if people come in and say, I actually disagree with you, that you have the power to just say, no, you're wrong. And that's called of a boundary. Exactly. I am not afraid to say they're wrong about what they think and, and you shouldn't be either. And that's what I, that's what I love about what you do. I'm not, trust me, I'm not. about you do. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, you've come to me for a reason and obviously I know what I'm doing because my uh, grieving process for Hodor helped me get through subsequent um, grieving processes in my own life very easily because I had already suffered the worst loss of my life. And so subsequently, um, when I lost my father, it was like nothing had ever happened. And then subsequently, when uh, my mom died just a couple of months ago, it was like no big deal at all. I just let it wash right over me because I had already processed the hardest I could ever process after Hodor. The grief that you experienced and worked through with Hodor made it so that the death of both of your parents caused you zero pain. Minimal to zero pain at all, uh, wow. other than just paperwork and that sort of a thing with getting the house and stuff. And you don't feel that that's possibly, and again, you know, I'm not uh, trying to tell of you what you're feeling upon. No, you're but, just playing uh, devil's assistant. Go ahead. That you wouldn't consider that possibly just a, a suppression of emotion, perhaps, that probably the death of your mother and father would be actually extremely painful for you, which is, you know, okay to have upon. But you're you're saying with confidence that the worst you ever grieved was Hodor. Mm-hmm. And... Every subsequent immediate family death after that, you felt minimal to no pain. Right. And that's what I tell everyone that I coach, my players, if you will. I say it gets easier the more people um, die around you. I want to speak upon grief with you for a moment. You know, sometimes 
uh, a very smart thing that I say is that, you know, grief doesn't always have to be of a person, you know, grief can be of, let's say, um, a project, let's say, you know, I had a pilot that didn't get picked up, which, you know, is just something that happens to people such as me who are in entertainment and get opportunities to be making of their own projects. I, I remember, um, you know, testing upon a pilot and not getting the part and grieving for, for weeks and weeks after that, grieving the money that I would have made, grieving the um, meeting of people upon the set that I would date or something like that, you know, just grieving of those things. Do you ever have to help people with grief that is not of, you know, actual physical human death? Oh, absolutely. A lot of grief is professional and and it's not personal. It It, it is a... Uh, loss of a promotion or it's a loss of the code to the elevator to the top floor that can actually be a traumatic um scary process are you talking about a physical elevator in in a building yeah a physical elevator if you work on a floor that has a special code and you forget it like um that could create grief and anguish and it can be just like that it can be uh but not only that professional um but it can also be maybe that you forgot like to get at the store or something like that you know like oh i'm grieving that um Lacroix. i was supposed to get a dozen Lacroix. yes and i left the Lacroix in the bottom of my cart oh uh, yes and i that's hate when pain. that happens mm-hmm and it's a grief that is it's difficult to match and it's difficult for people who haven't experienced that um but i've experienced that and so i can speak on that in your expertise in your professional opinion almost anything even a little bit negative can be considered of grief it can anything that can cause grief is equal like it it the the like the, what if if you were to say the definition of something that caused grief what would it be something just the definition that's such a big definition let's let's see to boil it down into the shell of a nut loss the pain of loss losing something that you expected to be there Mm. and that can be anything that can be a person that can be a pet that can be the keys to the car. That that's a much deeper meaning to grief than I had ever assumed. You know, I I always felt that grief was you know something stupid you felt upon uh, your father dying or something. Um, being around of of people dealing with grief every day, I assume that you um are are doing this in your work every day. What is your trauma upon that? How is your mental health upon that? Is that a tough thing to see of every day? Are you seeing people, you know, in grief, in sadness all of the time? Does that affect your mental health and your way upon thinking? That's such a good question. You know, I often tend to have empathy of others and, you know, care about what they think. And I don't always just ask questions and talk about myself upon conversations. And that's just something that I want people that are listening to know about me. I mean, I love that about you. And I think you do such a thank great you. job of that. Yeah, thank you. So how is your mental health of working of uh, uh, upon people having grief every day? Well, many people have their own mind buckets, as I call them, uh, full of water or sand or um, a mixture of water and sand. And, um, you only have so much room in that mind bucket to, to carry the sand or the water or the mixture of sand and water, what have you. So when other people start adding their sand and their water into your bucket, well, you only have so much room 
before the sand water starts just cresting over the rim of the bucket of the mine bucket and then spilling down from the top of your hairs to the end of your ears and down the sides of your shoulders and getting your shirt all wet. So you have to, I have to be mindful that I don't let everyone fill up my bucket of sand water too much with their issues and so sometimes i'll just stop listening during a session just so i don't absorb too much of it when i know that i have like a limited amount of mind bucket space you're taking a moment for yourself even during a grief coaching session to tune out and just take care of your own mental health which i think is important Right. Some people have very gruesome lives and the things that they're experienced, the loss that they've experienced is nothing that anyone should ever experience or even really hear about. And so I just am able to tune it out. And it's 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 helped me a lot because if if I get sad when you're trying to get happy, well, I just don't think that's going to be a recipe for success because now I'm bumming you out because you bummed me out. And, and and that has never affected of your clients, you know, that has never affected the work you've tried to be doing upon them? Not that I am aware of, heard of, been told. Are, are you constantly having new clients uh, with new grief? Are you, are you having regular clients who come in with regular grief? What does your client tell? What do they look like? It's mostly new grief um, because I don't think it's healthy to process grief for too long like a couple weeks and then boom, you got to move on couple weeks max. And then you need to, you need to get over it. What, what, what do you say to someone who comes back to you and says, Hey, it's been two weeks. I'm not over it. Honey. I don't care if you've watched game of Thrones or not. A new episode of game of Thrones, if you will, is coming on and you better be ready for it. Cause more people are going to die and we got to move on past Hodor. You know what I mean? Figuratively. Okay, because that sounds like something you would be saying upon your spouse or something like that, or that someone maybe said upon you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where I'm coming from, and my point of view is um, the um, from my own eyeballs, you know. So that's that's where it starts, and it generally ends there too. So if I was experiencing some kind of grief, let's say, for example, an ex girlfriend of mine jumped off of the Hoover Dam. Where would I find you? How would I know that you exist? How would I know that grief coaching is a thing? Where would I find you? How do you market yourself? How do you put yourself out there? How did you build your business of grief coaching? What's your hustle? There's ways that you can buy searches on the internet, um, you know, essentially that make it more likely that your um, business will come up when people search certain things. So that's interestingly one of the things that I, I, um, flagged was my girlfriend jumped off the Hoover dam, um, is one thing. Oh, wow. So specifically off of the Hoover dam, like what I just said in my fake example, that's incredible. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? And because, um, 73 people jump off the Hoover dam every month. And so I looked around, found a geotagged. I found a lot of bridges and dams and tall buildings. And then so I centralized the geotagging around there and I put in search terms such as my girlfriend or boyfriend just jumped off the Sears Tower or my girlfriend or boyfriend um, just uh, jumped off, you know, Denver Bridge. And um, then 
that allows the computer technology to find um, my website and it and it offers it to the people of, of coaching and then when they're looking at and other counselors do this too and then so when they're looking at a list of oh grief counselor grief counselor that sounds like a bit sad or something but a grief coach well that sounds like maybe a bit motivational and then they meet me and they see that I don't have really a lot of energy to offer at all, but I still do coach them in my own special way. And I tell them about the mind bucket and um, Hodor. So you've, you've specifically targeted your marketing upon areas where there are tall things to jump off of. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where a lot of tragedies like happen, like geolo- geographical, um, dangerous areas. Quim, where upon do you go when you need help upon grief? I mean, do you, do you attend a therapy? Do you have your own grief coach? Are you your own grief coach? You know, I I always wonder where, where do the helpers go for their help? Well, I listen to you a lot. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm so flattered of that. And it's, it's good to hear that because many people do say that. And I do appreciate you saying of it. And, um, I will also listen to my own self a lot, um, because I hear, I I can find something that I've probably addressed before. And so when I get sad about something, I just kind of look at the titles of my own podcast, or I also record sessions with my clients and my players, um, without their knowledge. And then I can often listen back to what I say in those things to remind me of all the good, smart things I say. You know, I do the same thing. I listen to my podcast. It's the only podcast I listen to. And, you know, I do have positive affirmations and it's all about, you know, positivity and mental health and, and, and getting better. And, you know, to me, it's like, I don't care if others don't like the advice, uh, that I give upon my show. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care if people don't like hearing me give of people advice and spread of positivity. Like at the very least it's for me. You know what I mean? Like I can record podcasts just for me and go back and listen to them myself. And so that's all that should matter. And of course, you know, I do want a lot of viewers and likes, but at the end of the day, if, if, if I'm happy with it, then I'm happy with it. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. What is your podcast? It's called Where's the Grief? Each day I'm talking to someone who is uh, without sharing their name. They're talking to me about the grief that they have experienced. And then I ask, where's the grief? And then they tell me where it is. And then we talk about that, how to process that. So it's basically the same thing you do with your clients, patients in your workplace just now on a podcast for free. Mm -hmm. But we also do games and we um, try um, different um, food from fast food restaurants and stuff like that and talk about them. So you're giving of grief advice and you're reviewing fast food chains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it popular? Are you getting of a lot of uh, listeners? And uh-huh, uh-huh. a lot of people like the fast food chain angle on it. Actually, it's kind of going in that direction. But I'll but I'll also do helpful things to like even if you're not suffering from grief. Um, and you know, and we can talk about this now too. Is just like ways to help people in your life that are suffering of grief because it's 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 very common. So like you know, let's say someone's um, partner dies what what do you want what do you do what would you do to reach out to them what would you say i would probably say you know i i'm sorry upon your loss and you know if there's anything you need from me please don't hesitate to ask of it mhm so is that now, wrong so well now you're kind of leaving it to them to 
find out some way that you can help. And that's adding to their more of their grief because now they have to think about, Oh, well, what do I need help with? You know? And then, but you know, what you can do is just go over there and um, wash their, uh, wash their Dodge charger, you know, just go wash their car for them without asking or go up and pressure wash their home you know, with a pressure washer and wash that, that these things that maybe are just things that need to be done that maybe they don't know to ask for, or maybe go wash their dog or unless that's why they're grieving because they lost their dog, then, you know, maybe then um, go get a coffin for the dog or something and bring it over. So that's one less thing that they have to do or go um, get a coffin for their partner or something too, and bring it over and, put it in the driveway for them. So it's there ready, you know, just going to be, I guess what you could say is anticipate their needs, you know, instead of asking for them to tell you their needs because they're already grieving for the next two weeks. And then if they're grieving anymore after that two weeks, then really they're on their own. So, so you're wanting people to um, already assume what this person needs and uh, just be giving it to them uh, in the form of gifts and favors and, labor and things of that. I I guess that sort of sounds like a love language to me, a love language of gifts. Mm, I like that. Yeah. Grief is a subject that, you know, I've, I've talked much about in therapy and I, I appreciate you getting me to look at it in sort of a different way here. Um, before we go, what is one piece of advice that you would give to the listener? I like to ask this question. I sort of have a thing on my podcast where I have a tradition of asking my guests of the same question. What is one piece of advice that you would give to the listener that you feel like they um, need to hear and should do? Per- perhaps perhaps about grief, your area upon expertise. Well, my big piece of advice and how I generally sign off on, on my podcast, Where's the Beef, is hold the door. And I think, and I think, you know, what that means, you know, it's like a door can open either way and it's an opening and it's a way to move through things. Um, and so, and it's also just politeness and it's politeness. Hold the door, um, hold the door, you know, be, be of chivalry, especially when you see a woman coming, hold the door and, and impress mm-hmm. them with your, with your kindness. And if they don't say thank you, look at them and look at them rudely, you know, and make sure they know that um, you you know that they didn't say thank you when you held the door for them. Yeah. Sometimes you can't let them get away with it. (laughs) (laughs) Quim, thank you so much. Um, This was such a a wonderful time. I can't believe it. um, Tell tell us the name of your podcast one more time so that my listeners can uh, subscribe upon it. It's Where's the Grief with Quim Wimley. Where's the Grief with Quim Wimley? I guess, uh, you know, download and subscribe wherever you listen upon podcasts as of current. Quim Wimley, thank you so much for coming upon my podcast. And my last question for you is, do you feel worthy? Yes. All right. I love you. All right. I love you too. Hey, Mooks. Uh, my name is Mr. Snyder. I'm a teacher in Seattle. Uh, and, and I just, I really wanted to ask you some advice because as a teacher, you know, I'm always trying to connect with the young kids, with the youth. Um, and you, you are, uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure you're like a decade older than me, but you, but you are so, you have a young spirit. You connect with them. You use their platforms. You, you give them advice. You lead them. I want to know from you, what can I do 
to have some of that energy? What can I do to to really show the kids that I I'm hip, that I understand them, you know, that I that I'm that I'm someone that that is down with it? That's what I want to portray for them every day in the classroom. Please help me out with this. Thanks a lot. Thank you for your call, Mr. Snyder. Um, gosh, I feel like I'm in grade school again calling you that. Mr. Snyder. Weird. Um, first thing I want to address quickly is that you say that I'm a decade older of you, but you did not state your age, so I assume there's no way you or I or anyone else can know of that for certainly. And I only mention that to say that there is no age of which giving advice is valid or invalid. And so I just want to point out of you that it's not necessarily even necessary to bring up of someone's age unless you were like poking fun of them, I guess. And of course, to say it does not matter what others say of me and I learned in therapy. But of course, that is still something I'd like to point out was kind of weird. And I'd also like to say thank you for being one of our nation's brave teachers. So how do you, as a person of some certain age, much older than your school pupils, I assume, connect with a younger generation and convey upon them that you are hip and understanding of them and their young life and spread of the message you would like to spread of them as a person of an older age? Well, much like the Death Star, Mr. Snyder, I believe that your logic in this matter has of a fatal flaw. And that is some clever information that I got from one of the newer Star Wars movies, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. And that fatal flaw is, you are trying to cater your personality and your attitude to these kids instead of being yourself. And that is not to say that there is not a gap to be bridged in terms of connecting and of communicating of humans of a younger generation. But that is to say... And I think this goes for anyone upon which you are trying to connect of young or old, rich or poor, that you don't have to change of the things of yourself in order to connect with others, but perhaps change and adapt of the way you communicate of those things. And when you ask of me how you can have the same energy I do, which of course is a smart and good thought of you to have. What I would say to you is better is that you can and should find the energy within side of yourself and manipulate it to have of appealing connection of your students. I think when most people think of communicating of young people, they think that they need to become of a young person all of a sudden, like they have to transform with a magic time machine and keep up of the youthful energy of a child or teenager. Or perhaps even change of their personality to seem more in line of those young people. And what I would say to you is that I believe you can be yourself and use the energy you do have to communicate of those young people, those young students, what you think is cool and of connection and their reactions be damned to hell. Because it is not what you are communicating of, it is how you are communicating of. So, of example, if you are having of a lesson of history and you want to make a reference of a movie you like, like, say, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and you are afraid that your students will make fun of you or not listen of you for referencing a movie of approximately four years ago. Because the way I assume you would do it is like, oh, hey, um, this is probably of stupidness to you, but I'm a huge fucking dork and I like this nerd movie from when you were maybe still of diapers and I thought maybe you would like me and perhaps uh, blah, 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 etc., etc. And look, we all know what it is like to be of a teenager and a young person. 
right? We often have problems of authority and we don't want to like the things of teachers and parents and other such adults. Like they are often wired psychologically to not like of anything we do and say, unfortunately. But I often think that it is because we do not try and communicate these things properly. So instead of that stupid way I just displayed of you doing it, you can be like, listen up. I like Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and here's why, and here's example A, B, and C, and D, and such other things, and wham, and bam, and etc., ma'am. And see if those students of yours don't have of a positive response of that. Because again, it is not what you are saying, but how you are saying of it. Anything said with passion, especially for and in front of young minds, will elicit an internal response. It's the same concept of, like, dangling of shiny, clanky keys in front of a baby, which is an even younger person than we are speaking of. Shake of the shiny keys in front of them, and my guess is that they will be like, Whoa, Mr. Snyder loves Rogue One of Star Wars stories so much, maybe I should check out of it when I get home from soccer practice or whatever. It's all about confidence. Don't be scared of these children that are smaller than you. And don't worry so much about what they think of you. They are stupid and not as smart as we adults are. They lack the experience of life that we have. And if you do this, this displaying of confidence, and there is still a student or two who are not into it, it does not matter. What others think of us does not matter. You can be confident of the knowledge that you are smarter than these kids. Like that is why you are the teacher and they are the students learning. If it was the other way around, then it would be you upon the desks listening to them write of the chalkboard or what have you. But that ain't reality, teach. The reality is you are in charge. So act like it, would you? <laughs> All right. Good luck to you, sir. Another one in the can. Remember, of course, if you would like me to answer of your life advice questions from the perspective of therapy on the airwaves, you can call me upon 424-245-5477. Again, that's 424-245-5477 and leave of me a voicemail. I need your calls. Not only do they help of you, they help of me. Sometimes I need my own advice, so please call in, if not for you, for me. Thank you of my guest, Quim Wimley. Please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else upon platforms which you listen to podcasts. And please rate us five stars. I know you're not doing anything right now. You're sitting around of the house, around of quarantine, going, what am I going to do? Go rate us five stars. Take your time with it. Write of a nice review. Boom. There's one hour down right there. You can follow me on social medias at Lil Mookie B across all platforms, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. That's L-I-L-M-O-O-K-I-E-B. You can also follow You Are Worthy Pod. Our podcast theme song is an original composition upon me, Lil Mookie B, in collaboration of Midi Keys and Maya the Garage Band drummer. Thank you for listening and keep continuing to be worthy. All right, uh, let's get nasty and then we'll get you home.
This has been a Little Mookie Bee production in association of Pink Hoodie Media.